listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This week's scripture reading is from Mark as we continue our journey through Mark in chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I believe it's on the screen. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you for that reading, Kurt. So uh, before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to take in this picture, which I find hilarious. Um, Jesus doing the move from Titanic, (laughs) right? Like, I'm the king of the world. Um, I'm sure that's exactly how it happened. (laughs) Um, Just to give you a little uh, insight into, like, my process. So every week, uh, usually on Monday, I try to find a piece of art that relates in some way to the sermon, something for the front of the bulletins, and then I'll usually keep that image um, on display throughout the week on my computer as I'm working on the sermon. Um, when I found this, I knew there was no way it would go on the bulletin, um, <laughs> but it had to go. It had to go in the slide. Where is my bulletin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We went with Rembrandt for the bulletin. That's right. Um, so anyway, Back in the fall, we started this series, uh, this teaching series. We were working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, And we took a little break from that series last month uh, to do a mini-series on stewardship. So for the last five weeks, uh, we've been jumping around uh, still in Mark to look at Jesus' teachings on money and uh, wealth. That mini-series is over, though, which means that we are back in the Gospel of Mark. It's like we never left because we didn't. Um, Just to kind of recap, though, uh, to reorient us, because it's been a minute, it's been a while since we've been kind of just going straight through this story, we're jumping back in at the end of Mark chapter 4. We're still early in Jesus' ministry, although he's starting to make a name for himself. Uh, He's done some healings. Uh, He's recruited some disciples at this point. He's riled up some religious people. That's always fun. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gets on this boat that's like right next to the the coast, and he climbs up in the boat and basically uses it as like a platform to preach to this large crowd that's gathered by the sea. And then Jesus and his disciples get into that boat, and they set sail across the Sea of Galilee. So that's the part of the story that we're in. And Jesus decides to take a nap. 
The guy's been healing and teaching people all day, so it's a well-deserved nap, but suddenly the storm sets in. The boat starts to take on water. Um, There's, I imagine, thunder and lightning. Um, The disciples go into a panic. They wake Jesus up. Apparently, he's a very strong sleeper. Um, So so they wake him up, and they're like, Teacher, um, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up. Um, I imagine that he would be a little cranky, uh, mainly because I have a four- and a six-year-old at home who wake me up when I'm napping, and that makes me cranky. Um, But Jesus wakes up. He gets out. He goes to the top of the boat, um, and in a stern voice, he says to the waves, be silent. And just like that, the wind dies down, the waves calm, and the water is as smooth as glass. Then Jesus turns to the disciples, and he's like, why were you afraid? Do you still lack faith? And that's when the disciples are like, who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Classic story, right? Like, this is, this is vintage Jesus. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this one before. I remember, like, acting it out on, like, the flannel board with, like, the little boat and things like that. Um, Rembrandt painted a picture of this story. That's what's on the front of our bulletins. And following in Rembrandt's footsteps, uh, there have been a number of memes in recent years inspired by this one, uh, mostly about Jesus napping. Um, I've got a few of them here. There's, there's this first one. In the midst of a long day, don't forget, Jesus took naps, which I think is awesome. Um, There's also this one, a little less visual. Um, Daniel slept in a lion's den. Peter slept in prison. Jesus slept in a storm. No matter your circumstances, you can take a nap. I think that's good advice. There's this one. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus, with a little reference to uh, Mark four thirty-eight. That's from this story. Um, and then finally, probably my favorite of all these, Jesus slept, which, which if you don't know, is a reference to Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. Short, um, but effective. This is a pretty well-known story. Um, a story that has generated this many memes has probably gotten out in the ether But as familiar as this story might be for many of us, I'm not sure we always read it all that well. A lot of times uh, we treat this story of Jesus calming the storm as kind of just like a standard miracle story. It's like, like, ta-da, Jesus can control the weather. It's like he's a superhero or something. You know, sign him up for the X-Men, I guess. Um, Which is a cool trick. It's, It's cool as magic tricks go. But I don't think that's the point of the story. There's also a really destructive reading of this one, uh, which goes something like this. In the storms of life, all you have to do is have faith, and God will rescue you. How many of us have heard that one before? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fine reading of this story, um, until it's not, right? Until... God doesn't show up to rescue you, and your boat sinks. In fact, there's an even more destructive reading in this passage, which goes something like this. Um, Oh, you're suffering? Things aren't going well for you? Things aren't working out? Well, maybe you should have had more faith. 
Maybe if you just believed a bit harder, if you just trusted God more, then maybe things would work out for you. Then maybe this wouldn't happen to you and God would come save you. I don't need to tell you guys, but that is an incredibly destructive way to handle this story, and I think it misses the point. What if this story is calling us to an entirely different way of understanding God and faith and what it looks like to trust God in times of struggle? What if this isn't a story about how if you believe hard enough, you can almost like trick God into showing up? But what if instead it's a story about how God is with us in all things, a story that gives us a new way to look at God's activity in the world and our faith and how they come together in Jesus. I remember when I was five years old, um, my grandmother got really sick. Um, She'd been sick for a while. She was on kidney dialysis for the last 10 years of her life. Um, But I remember one night we got a call um, and she was really sick. And I remember that night uh, praying with my mom that my grandma would get better. And she didn't. She died um, early that morning, the next morning. And I remember I was only five, um, but I think that was the first time that it kind of clicked for me that, oh, maybe this doesn't all work the way I've assumed it does. In my five-year-old brain, I thought that, like, if things were bad— and you prayed, and you had enough faith that God would show up and fix things. But I prayed, I had faith, and things didn't get better. God didn't fix it. I asked Jesus to calm the storm, but he didn't. But what if that's not the point of this story? What if this story is telling us something a little bit different? I think it is. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, But to see it, to see this alternative perspective on the story, we've got to look at the questions that are being asked in this one. There are three questions in this story. Don't you care that we're drowning? Do you still have no faith? And who is this guy? It's a bit of a paraphrase, but you get the point. These are the three questions that kind of guide this story. Let's talk about the first one. Don't you care that we're drowning? When trouble comes, if we like find out someone's sick or um, things don't work out the way we've hoped uh, or we're struggling in some other way, we often start here. Don't you care that we're drowning? God, don't you care about us? Are you paying attention? I'm hurting here. I'm struggling and it feels like you're not even here. This is a question that we actually find directed at God a lot in the Bible. Uh, Where are you? Why aren't you showing up for me? This question pops up all over the book of Psalms, which was the prayer book of ancient Israel. Uh, i got a few examples here. This one's from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry by day, but you do not answer. That's the Psalm Jesus quotes from the cross. Um, Or from Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And of course, this one, um, perhaps one of the most famous ones from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This stuff cuts deep. This is real. 
Over and over again in the Bible, we, we find people asking God, where are you? Do you even exist? Are you listening? Don't you care that we're drowning? I feel like for the last two years, prayers like these have probably been on repeat for a lot of us, right? Lockdown again? Another variant? Come on, God. Why aren't you paying attention to us? There's something deeply human about looking to God in times of pain, in times of struggle, and feeling like God isn't listening. But as common as that experience is, as relatable as all that is, I think it misses something about the God we find in Scripture. The God of the Bible is not some absent deity that we have to beg to show up and rescue us. That's not how God works. The God of the Bible is present and active. We're told this over and over again. God's as close as our breath. God is in our midst. God is in our hearts. God's spirit is always depicted moving around the earth, always present, always active, always working to bring light out of darkness and life out of death. I think sometimes we work with this assumption that God is off somewhere else. We assume God is absent when when trouble comes. We take that as a sign that God isn't with us. Maybe God's mad at us and we're being punished. Uh, Maybe God's not paying attention and we've got to like flag God down, wake him up literally in this story, and, and like beg him to show up for us. The disciples are operating with the assumption that God is somewhere else, which is ironic because they've got God in their boat, right? This is so deeply human. These guys have the Son of God in their boat, yet they assume when the storm shows up that God is no longer with them. Do you think Jesus is unaware there's a storm happening? We got one yeah. We got a few no's, though. Do you think... Do you think this guy who's always reading people's minds, telling the future, uh, performing miracles, do you think Jesus is, like, taken aback by this storm, like he didn't see it coming? No. Of course not. Jesus was probably like, ah, I'm going to have to calm a storm in a half hour. Better get a quick nap in, right? (laughs) Like, that's more of how I envision this going down. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus gets his nap. He gets up, and he tells the storm to be quiet, And then he turns to the disciples and he says, Why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Which is our second question. And this is where the story often veers off into those really destructive readings I talked about a minute ago. If you have enough faith, God will show up and rescue you, right? Which still assumes that God is somewhere else. That God is absent, uh, almost like a, like a neglectful parent or something. But if we believe hard enough, God might just show up and pay attention to us. When Jesus asks the disciples if they lack faith, he's not telling them to believe harder. That's not the message. He's reminding them that he's with them, that he's already there. Why were you afraid? I'm in the boat with you. These guys have been following Jesus for a while, uh, a little while at least. They've they've heard him teach. They've seen him heal. He cured Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. 
Um, he healed a man with a withered hand. He told a paralyzed guy to stand up, and he did. They've seen Jesus show up in the most terrible situations and do absolutely amazing things, but they're still working with this assumption that when things go bad, God is somewhere else. How many of us have seen God at work in our lives? Oh, a lot of hands. That's awesome. Um, We've seen God show up over and over again. We've seen transformed lives. We've seen light coming out of darkness time and time again, but we still work with those same destructive assumptions that God is absent, that God doesn't care, that God is angry with us. The God of the Bible is on a mission to bring healing and wholeness to the world. God is not somewhere else distracted or asleep. That's not who God is. That's not how God works. God is always with us. Always moving. Always working. And the exciting part of the story is that the God revealed in Jesus invites us to partner with him in the work of redeeming the world. I'm going to say that sentence again because it's a mouthful. The God revealed in Jesus invites us to partner with him in the work of redeeming the world. That sounds like an adventure to me. It sounds like an action movie almost. I go like, for whatever reason, I go to like Indiana Jones when I hear that. Being a disciple of Jesus is exciting work. It's an adventure. And sometimes it's work that can get us into trouble. We miss this a lot uh, in this story, but it's important to remember, Jesus and his disciples are crossing the sea. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. They're headed somewhere new when the storm blows in. Up until now, they've been in Galilee. They've been in their home turf among their family and their neighbors, people they know. But they're crossing into new territory now. Unknown territory. Gentile territory. Of course they hit a storm. Sometimes if we go where God is leading us, we're going to end up in places of hardship and struggle. I mean, look at where this story ends. Resurrection, but first the cross. The disciples are worried about a storm. Things are going to get so much worse. Jesus knows where this is heading, though, so he invites the disciples to have faith. Not to close their eyes and believe harder, but to remember that he is always with them even in the midst of the storm. And that brings us to our final question. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Who is the God revealed in Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? How do we allow those beliefs about Jesus to reshape our view of God, our view of everything? Do we worship a distant God? An out-of-touch, disconnected deity who kind of keeps the world at arm's length? A lot of Christians kind of live as if we do, right? 
That's how we kind of treat the world. The world, got to stay away from that thing. Don't want to intermix with that. I might get corrupted. It's like we forget that God so loved the world. Is the God revealed in Jesus an angry God who sends up beating our way if we step out of line? Is he a manipulative God who plays this sort of tit-for-tat game where if we believe hard enough, maybe he'll show up and do what we want? Or even worse, do we worship an indifferent God who doesn't care about us? A God who has to be coaxed, convinced into showing up and delivering us. Is that the God we worship, or do we believe in a God that's like Jesus? A God who has shown up for us time and time again. A God who enters in to our stuff, all of our stuff. A God who's always with us, healing, bringing wholeness and grace. A God who sends his own son into the world to conquer sin and death so that we could have life. A God who doesn't promise to give us what we want all the time or to fulfill our every dream, but who instead invites us to join on this adventure. A journey that's sometimes going to lead us into storms only for us to realize that God was with us the whole time. God has to be at least as cool as Jesus, right? I think that's a good mantra. God has to be at least as cool as Jesus. Following Jesus, as we see in the story, is unpredictable. Sometimes it's scary. Uh, If we partner with Jesus, we can expect some storms from time to time. Sometimes it might even feel like God has abandoned us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? but don't believe it for a minute. God is here. God is with us. God is always there inviting us to follow and sometimes to take a nap. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for being a God who's always present with us, always by our side, especially in the storms of life. God, we confess sometimes it's hard to see your presence. We know you're there, we know you're with us, but sometimes it's hard to see you at work in our lives. And so, God, we ask that you'd give us eyes to see. Help us to make that shift to to see you differently. Not as some absent God that we have to beg to come and rescue us, but an active God. God who's always there and who's inviting us to join in the work of resurrection. Help us to hear that call, Lord and respond. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. 
You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.